What is the most difficult third-year rotation, according to medical students? What are some tips for those long hospital days? How do you weigh third-year experiences to determine the right path for you? And what is a cication? Today on Talking Admissions and Med Student Life, I interview Travis, a third-year medical student here at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. Well, welcome to another edition of Talking Admissions and Med Student Life. I've got a great guest today, Travis. Hello, Travis. Hello, Dr. Chan. How are you? Good. I'm doing great. I'm excited you can come in. All right. So third year. Third How's year. your third year experience been? Uh, so far, so good. Um, it's about halfway through and... Just making progress. Making progress. Moving along. Yeah. yeah. So um, I know we talked a little bit before we, I turned on the pod, but let's kind of go over it. So um, you did some electives at the beginning. Mm-hmm. What did you do your electives in? Uh, my first one was in two weeks of pediatric cardiothoracic surgery and then two weeks of pediatric orthopedic surgery. Okay. What was your experience on those rotations? Um, different. How the, so? The CT surgery um, kind of fit the mold of what I expected cardiothoracic surgery to be. I did a lot of standing. A lot of standing, holding and, retractors? And watch. No. Okay. No. No. I got to stand by the anesthesiologist. And you just watched? For like eight to ten hours a day and just watched. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You were learning though, right? Yeah. What, did the surgeons kind of point out stuff um, to you? Or? A little bit. They asked me anatomy questions and stuff. But okay. How'd you do? Uh, pretty good. Anatomy okay. is one of my one Strips. of my things. So, yeah. yeah. But okay. ortho was much different. Ortho was good. Well, yeah. What's like when you say pediatric ortho? Are we talking like you know football injuries and kids breaking their shoulders? So like most legs of and stuff? most of the kids um, were scoliosis patients. Interesting. Um, so like spine straightening procedures, and then some of them had uh, you know twisted limb syndromes and some maybe some broken bones. So placing rods in in legs and straightening spines. And so stuff. this image I have of like you know I'm watching high school football because I have so much time in my life to watch high school football that when someone gets hit in the field and they break their leg or arm and they go off to the hospital, that's not necessarily you guys. That's something completely different. Um, I didn't see any of that. Okay. Um, so it sounds like it's more chronic conditions. Like yeah, and I was over at Shriners. Oh, interesting. Which which mostly deals with like congenital issues. Mm. Um, as far as I, as far as I gathered, I'm assuming that those like leg fractures would probably go to primaries. What is there a different like atmosphere at Shriners? I mean, how would you describe it? It was, it they was a very unique mission. Yeah, it was different. It's like a nonprofit. They don't, they will charge your insurance if you have it, but they don't turn anybody away. Mm. They have like their own little, uh, engineering section for where these guys make like fancy privatized wheelchairs for these kids that like fit their bodies and like prosthetic limbs too. Yeah. They do prosthetic limbs over there. They do all sorts of stuff. It was really, it was really interesting to go over to their facility and see the, the different mindset where mm-hmm. like they don't even have, they don't even have their own scrubs. Interesting. All of their scrubs for the surgeons are like donated from other hospitals. So it's just like a closet full of mismatched scrubs because mm-hmm. they try to keep their expenses as low as possible to, to be able to just provide services and and like the and like the post the PACU the post OR I mean does it feel like a regular OR I mean it was like a little room okay just a little room with a nurse and okay. a couple beds okay uh, so still do really great surgeries but maybe not all the bells and whistles you would see at a huge like, right. academic medical center right okay interesting yeah interesting. but the doctors I think the doctors are also on the faculty over here so yep. it's the same group of docs yep right okay mm-hmm. cool Shriners. interesting all right then what did you do after pediatric orthopedic Orthopedic. Uh, I moved on to obstetrics and gynecology. All right. Let's talk about it. Did weeks. you do OB or gyne first? Um, I started with uh, gyne, okay. benign gyne here at the university. All right. 
And then I did one week of outpatient and then three weeks of obstetrics. So there's a perception that OB-GYN is one of the more difficult rotations during medical school. Would you agree or disagree? I would concur with that mostly because it's time consuming. What kind of hours are we talking um, about? So when I was on Gyn, um, I would usually get here about 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. to go pre-round on my patients who had had procedures the previous day. Okay. So I would go and wake them up and meet them and check on them. How many patients? Um, just a handful. Okay. You know, a couple, two, three, four. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we would uh, present those patients to the physician and the, and the residents and then prepare for the day and go perform surgeries. And so they recall correctly, the OR opens at 7 a.m. Yeah. So the goal is to get done, get done with all the rounding, that. pre-rounding before 7 because mm-hmm. everyone goes down the OR. Yep. And that's just, just how it works. Uh-huh. Yeah, so 10 to 14-hour days were not uh, unusual. So getting here at 5, leaving at 7? 5, 6, 7, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, how'd you do? As far as my performance? Well, I mean, just how, how do you, how does one do that? How does one go to the hospital for 10, 12 hours a day? Like, well, I think, do you have uh, like, tr- like tips. I, mean, I, you I do, you know, little treats in your pockets. What I you do. Um, so these are all, this is all just like lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I carry around, you probably saw my, yeah, you have a very, my refrigerator uh, with a strap. Yes. Or just like uh, lunch pail on steroids. Uh-huh, yeah. Yep. I pack many meals. Uh-huh. Um, but that's just sort of my thing outside of med school is like eating constantly throughout the day. Mm-hmm. But that's helpful because you never know when you're going to get a break. Um, as far as managing the time, I knew that third year was going to be demanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a personal life outside of medical school, which is also demanding. And so I decided that I didn't want to be miserable for an entire year of my life. So I was just going to pick a few things on every rotation that I enjoyed about it and be hyper-focused on those things so that I could be happy and try to convince myself that I loved what I was doing. And it's worked so far. Yeah. So did you like OB-GYN? I loved OB-GYN. Tell me why. Even though I thought I was going to hate it. Um I realized that in OB-GYN, you have a very special relationship with your patients. Mm. Um, these are, especially in obstetrics, these are women who are, you know, for nine months preparing to give birth to a child. And within an hour, I go from not knowing them at all to being a part of one of the most important moments of their life. Mm. Um, and that was something that I really appreciated that these women were willing to allow me to be a part of that moment with them. Um, I think it's, it's, uh, physically challenging. It's, it's intellectually challenging, but also like it's emotionally rewarding to be able to have those types of relationships with patients. Did any of the women, uh, were they init- were they hesitant to have a med student in the room to be part of that? Um, there were some, um, but that conversation was usually had before I met them. Okay. Um, and so if there were any hesitations or concerns, then I just wasn't uh, – I didn't participate in their care. But the ones you did participate in, sounds like it was a really meaningful experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Would you say all types of birth, like you know, vaginal as well as C-section, was it kind of the same feeling or um, – the C-sections were a little different. You know, the, it's, they're ha- they happen in the operating room. The mother's usually covered, so you're only, like, looking at her abdomen. And so it's more sort of more of a surgical approach where you tend to be focused on the procedure mm-hmm. rather than maybe the patient. Yeah. Uh, and then once the baby is born, you hand it off to the peds team or to the NICU. And so it's very, very uh, procedure-oriented rather than patient-centered. Mm-hmm. But 
I remember as a med student, you know, feeling the exact same way, Travis. And yeah, it's a very, it's a very beautiful experience. But I just remember with cesarean sections or C-sections, it was a little bit more tense. I just remember the atmosphere gets more tense because usually sure. there's a reason why the C-section uh, uh, was called for. And uh, I just remember the tachometer, you know, that's the, I don't know the exact words, but that's how they monitor the baby's pulse. Mm-hmm. And if the pulse starts diving too much, it's in fetal distress. And then all of a sudden it goes from, okay, we're trying to like push the baby out to like, okay, we need to cut the baby out. Sure. Things kind of move very quickly. And I just remember, you know, people would sometimes stop and ask for blessings and, and, you know, people will get kind of concerned because all of a sudden, like, you have to kind of kick out a lot of people from the room because, as you're right, you have to take them back to the operating room. And I remember, like, uh, this, the partners, significant others, the husbands, they would have to put on the Ghostbuster suits. Mm-hmm. Do they still have those? They just do scrubs now. They just do scrubs? Okay. Mm-hmm. I remember those big kind of, like, yeah. um, they weren't sure where to stand and they could only stand on this side of the drape. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was it – was, I remember the first time I – there's only one t- – there's two times during my medical school career that I felt kind of woozy. I felt I was going to faint. It was the very first C-section I witnessed firsthand because I've never seen anything like that before. And mm-hmm. I just remember kind of being the assistant, helping, uh, the attending, and holding, like, the instruments. And then I just remember, like, there's a lot of blood. I just started feeling kind of woozy. Yeah. <laughs> so luckily I did not pass out and drop into the surgical field. So Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, I did the cardiothoracic surgery for these babies mm-hmm. that have – congenital heart malformations Mm. and even that when the heart is stopped and the baby's on you know a a heart and lung machine it seems like the atmosphere was less stressful than during the c-sections and i think it's because it's so acute like if a c-section wasn't already planned and they just decide that it needs to be done now because of problems with the baby or whatever like Mm -hmm. it's potentially a life you know one or even two lives that are at risk Mm. within the matter of you know, the next few minutes. And so, yeah, I, I can definitely understand the, t- the tension. And mm-hmm. So after, so OB-GYN, were you thinking about it all? Because you mentioned like that was kind yeah. of, so tell, what, how does, like, I mean, again, like the people that listen to this podcast, you know, I, I imagine it's mostly people thinking about going to medical school. I think there's some po- people probably in medical school. How would you recommend, you know, someone who's in the middle of their third year, how do you kind of weigh these different experiences and trying to figure out what's the path for you? It's it's been tough. I coming into med- medical school even before getting here, always thought that I belonged somewhere in pediatrics. Okay, um, and kind of had that in my mind. And we, you come to med school, and it it almost seems like there's this environment where you're supposed to know what you're going to be when you grow up. And so people get very fixated on fields or subspecialties that they think that they're interested in without really having any experience. And I recognize that I didn't know anything about you know obstetrics or surgery or or any of the fields, mm-hmm. uh, really. I wasn't particularly interested in focusing on women's health or birth, um, so I purposely scheduled OB-GYN early in the year so I could just get it over with. But as I'm like how I mentioned before that I didn't want to spend this year being miserable. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, to convince myself every rotation that that's what I wanted to do. And so that's what I did on OB. It wasn't fun waking up at 4 o'clock. It wasn't fun, you know, Driving in that early, coming in that early, tired to, all the time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the most fun lifestyle, but I found a couple things that I liked, and I focused on those and convinced myself that I loved it enough that I was willing to do it, you know, as a career. And I think that um, I may have gotten off track already about your your question, but no, it's okay. I think that that's. It's a free-flowing podcast. I think that's where we want to go. I think that that's advice I would give to to somebody coming into medical school is while it's healthy to have 
a goal and an idea about what you want to do so that you can work in, you know, in a certain direction. I don't think it's worth, um, missing out on opportunities because you believe that you are, you already know what you're going to do. That you're not necessarily destined for a field. So, well, and especially as a medical student, because even as a third year, I have no idea what the ER looks like. I have no idea. Right. But I will. (laughs) Yeah, you will. So, I mean, I've gained all of these valuable experiences halfway through the year, but there's still so much more that I've never seen. Mm. So how can I say, you know, how could I say before I'm not interested in OB-GYN at all until I experienced it? And then once I was there, I realized, wow, this is a lot different than what I anticipated. And it sounded like you you are or were still considering it for your choice. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely still on my differential. Now that I'm done and have moved on to other rotations, I can look back and say, okay, here are the things that I really liked about it. Here's what it will do for me personally. Here's what it will do for my family. Mm-hmm. Here are some of the demands that it has. Mm-hmm. And I can kind of weigh those with a more objective uh, approach rather than just the subjectivity that I had while I was there. Mm-hmm. And But I feel like I've, I've given it a fair shake. And so next year when I apply to residency, I can say – I honestly tried each mm-hmm. of these rotations. I gave it my best shot and I'm choosing whatever I choose for, you know, reasons X, Y, and Z rather than just because that's what I thought I always wanted to do. So what did you do after OB-GYN? I did PEDS. Okay. How was your PEDS experience? Uh, it was good. Um, like I said, that's what I always thought that I wanted to mm-hmm. do. And so I, I kind of approached it um, – uh, from that angle, that this is where I th- where I think I want to belong and I want to glean as much as I can from it. Mm-hmm. What teams were you on? I mean, how was it set up? So I did. It's um, a great question. So I did. They give us one week of elective. Okay. So my my one week of elective was in the PICU, the, the pediatric, pediatric ICU, ICU. Okay. Mm-hmm. so intensive care, and then one week in the Well Baby Nursery, so babies that had just been born. My favorite word, Wibben. With the Wibben. The Wibben. Well, the baby well Baby Nursery. nursery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then one week of outpatient at a um, community, clinic. community clinic near my my home that okay. uh, works with a lot of refugees and underserved populations. And then three weeks of inpatient medicine at Primary Children's Hospital on the okay. Glasgow team. Glasgow team. Let's talk mm-hmm. about that. So what's that team? Because it's kind of ubiquitous to our school. Yeah. So, so we have a couple different teams here um, that we do for pediatrics. Some of them are focused on specific – uh, division. So if a kid comes in with a cardiology problem, they go to a specific team, a neuro problem, a specific team. And then the Glasgow team kind of just takes everything. Kind of like the teaching it, team. Yeah, yeah, except for those highly specialized needs. And so they send them off. So my um, superior was a second-year resident mm-hmm. um, who had just barely completed her intern year. We had an attending that we saw for a few hours a day during rounds, but it was basically this resident trying to figure out what she was doing and learn and work hard and take care of all these patients. She's on her own path as a teacher yeah. teaching a group of med students. How many mm-hmm. of you were there on the rotation? So there's usually five okay. at a time on the team. Um, one person is always on nights mm-hmm. and we rotate that. And then the other three or four are on during the day. Okay. And would you cross cover each other's patients? So the night med mm-hmm. student kind of watch the other ones. Yeah. yeah. That's a really good skill to learn the kind of the, the sign out and the sign back in. Yeah. Especially because these patients, we would see them day after day after day. It's not like, you know, what we practice um, in our clinical class, meeting a patient, having forming this limited a, interaction with them. Right. Yeah. These patients were sick in the hospital for days or weeks at a time. And the information that we gained mm-hmm. during the day needed to be passed on and maintained to be able to, to continue their care. There's definitely a division within medicine of like inpatient, outpatients, like different philosophies, different approaches. For sure. Outpatients, you know, much, you know, clinical base. You go in, see the doctor, half hour. 
then you probably don't see him for another week to six months to a year. Like, mm-hmm. you, but yeah, you're right. Inpatients very different because they're there twenty four seven. There's nurses involved. There's techs involved. There's all these people involved. Everyone's writing notes and checking in on the patient. And uh, your job as a med student is kind of gather this information, process it, talk it over with the resident or the attending, and kind of plot the course. I mean, yeah. start a medication, start a procedure, things like that. So, did do you feel drawn? I mean, did you like the outpatient experience more than patient, or how, how would you say? It's tough to say. Um, I like the things that drew me to. P- Pediatrics originally were working with children. I like the outpatient setting where you have continuity, where you can form relationships with these families and take care of the kids for years and be a part of their uh, life. And, you know, not just from a medical standpoint, but socially and, mm-hmm. and you really get to know people. But like you said, you know, a patient comes in, you see them for 15, 20 minutes, and then you might not see them again for six months or a year or two years. And mm-hmm. you lose a lot of of uh of of that relationship to follow up on inpatient it's kind of the opposite you see a patient you know multiple times a day every day mm-hmm. for a few days or a week and you can really get to know them that way but then you know you hopefully send them on their way and and i think as an inpatient provider you hope to never see them again in that setting because if you do it means that they're sick um and so there are different different approaches and different um you know, feelings of fulfillment that you get from each of them. What did you do after pediatrics? Uh, psychiatry. All right. What was your experience? Uh, very interesting. I did three weeks of inpatient psychiatry here at the University of Utah, mm-hmm. and then three weeks of child psychiatry at the uh, Uni, the University Uni, of Neuropsychiatric yeah. Institute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, there's a perception of a psychiatry rotation before one actually does it. I mean, what what do you think it was going to be like, and what did it end up being like? So there's a um, a nickname that it has here, which probably exists in other institutions, they call it psychation. <laughs> um, meaning, meaning it's not as demanding that it's not as demanding. The schedule's uh, typically more uh, family friendly. Mm-hmm. There is an option that I didn't do, which is to do uh, part of the rotation over at the Veterans uh, Hospital, the VA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the one where where the majority of people have a, a pretty light schedule. I've heard that sometimes it's ten to two, so. You know, three four hours a day, which was not my experience, but I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> yeah, <this. laughs> but yeah, the 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 evenings were nicer, the weekends were nicer because I think the call is less too for the medical. Students. The call is less. Yeah. Well, you, what was, let, let me. I'm sorry. So, what was your call for OBGYN? What was your call schedule like? So we had to do, um, I think, like two. This is a long time ago. We had to do like two or three weekend shifts. Okay. So we just had to pick a couple Saturdays and Sundays to come in. And then we had an entire week of evenings. So, so we worked like a graveyard. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What was your call schedule like for peds? For peds, uh, similar. I was supposed to stay late one day on each of the weeks. And then when I was on inpatient, those three weeks of inpatient, one of those weeks was night flow. Okay. And then psych. And then psych, uh, there was just two or three days where we stayed late to do what they called short call mm-hmm. with the residents. So basically picking up any patients that come in from like 5 p.m. To like 8 p.m. To like 8 yeah. p.m., yeah. yeah. Did you have to spend the night at the hospital? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's no night float system for psych. But it sounds like night float Not is common in peds and OBJN. Yep. Okay, mm-hmm. interesting. All right. So psych, liked it, not liked it? It was – yeah, it was great. Um, I uh, – again, it, had, it offers different different types of fulfillment. Most of the patients that you meet are incredibly ill, mm-hmm. but they're not um, 
they're not diseases that we fully understand yet. Mm. They're not diseases that you can really measure and and approach. I mean, it's becoming that way. It's it's getting that way. My understanding, but these were diseases that were affecting people's ability to function and care for themselves in society. And so, taking care of that illness was going to, you know, benefit their entire life and yep. their family's life and. I think the thing with psychiatry, those of you who are listening probably know I'm a psychiatrist. It's hard because there's no real diagnostic test. Right. Um, and, you know, maybe the next generation, yeah, there might be blood tests or special brain MRIs, but we're not really at that point yet. So a lot of this is theory. You mm-hmm. know? Uh, someone, someone's serotonin levels, maybe, theoretically, might be low. So maybe that's what's causing this depression. So that's kind of like a biology kind of way of looking at it. But there's also the flip side, like, oh, maybe this person's depressed because, you know, they've been horribly abused or they're in a horrible relationship or, you know, so there's like these environmental impacts too. And so the hard part about psychiatry is just teasing that all apart. You know, what is a genetic legacy? What's biologically driven? Is the environment kind of causing a lot of problems? And so, yeah, like before I started, before I started my own journey, I thought, oh, yeah, it's you treat depression, you know, medication, same as an antibiotic, it's a lot more complex because people's lives are more complex. And that's where talk therapy comes into them. And, and I, you know, I think mental illness, not all of it, but I think there's a component of mental illness that's chronic. It's kind of always there, but depending on someone's function level and how they're doing, it's something that certainly is always present. You, you, know, what, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. yeah. Did you like working with adults or kids more? Um, you I was know, curious because of your background yeah, in that, pediatrics or that, your, your kind of interest in that yeah Yeah, that's a good question i always was excited and crossing my fingers that i would get assigned to child psych Mm -hmm. um, because that was a lot of the stuff that i did before medical school um however at least for me personally it was much more taxing emotionally to work with children who had either been abused or had tried to hurt themselves or commit suicide um rather than than with the adults um, and that could be a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe that just means that I, it was hard for me because I really cared. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe, you know, maybe it spoke to a, a part of my own personal psyche that, you know, maybe, maybe I was doing a little <laughs> counter transference or something. <laughs> like so Travis, I love how you throw around <laughs> these words. It's great. Yeah. I agree though. I, I, yeah, I think there's a beauty to kids. I think kids are without guile, they'll just tell you what's going on. Yeah. But it's also hard because I think kids are also innocent in many ways yeah. and they're in these really difficult circumstances sometimes on their own. A lot of times not. Uh, but yeah, you really start seeing, you know, I just remember like thinking like, wow, you know, I had a mom and dad who really cared for me and, and I, I didn't, you know, I went to a school that was, everyone was supportive. I had friends. Um, and I'm not saying that people who don't go to uni don't have those things, but I just think it's like, everything just feels harder nowadays. Yeah. With like Facebook and social media. Oh yeah. And, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I just, I, my heart goes out to kids. I think it's just, it's just much, much harder nowadays to be a kid and just experiencing that. And you're just finishing up your child psych rotation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm not sure if you kind of felt that's that same way or if that came across. I did. It's hard because, you know, when I was with adults, you, you, you work with them, they stay in the hospital for a couple of days, they kind of regroup themselves and you send them back and you, 
wish them luck and you get some follow-up for them and they go back to their life. Hopefully that's work and a family. Mm -hmm. Some of them are more severe and so, you know, they don't have that opportunity. But with the, with the children, I mean, a lot of them are known to Mm -hmm. the staff because they're, they've come in before. They come in before. They come in frequently. Some of them have long, you know, histories with legal problems or division of child and family services Mm -hmm. or some are wards of the state. Yeah. Some, some have custody. Yeah. Some are, some are in the foster care system. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's really complex. Yeah. (laughs) The deeper you go. Because as a society, we care for our kids. We have all these laws in place that aren't there for adults. And as such, you have all these programs in place. Yeah. It's kind of navigating them and, and trying to get the best outcomes. It's hard. Yeah. All right, we're going to switch gears. We were doing great, Travis, last few minutes. Let's talk about pre-med stuff. Okay. All right. You went to Utah Valley, right? Yep. Um, advice you give to people out there who are looking at medical school. What did you do in retrospect? What worked? What didn't work? Yeah, so the advice I give to everybody, and I'll, uh, just for full disclosure, I, I didn't feel like I was a very strong applicant for medical school uh, academically. My grades were decent, but not that great. Mm-hmm. My MCAT score wasn't that you know impressive. Um. And I knew that going in, um, but I, it, it's something I wanted to pursue and wanted to do. Um, but knowing that I wasn't a strong applicant, at least in my mind, and that there was a possibility that maybe it wouldn't work out for me, I really focused in medical school on just developing who I wanted to be as a person rather than who I thought that the medical schools wanted me to be. Interesting. I, I feel like in the pre-med world, there's this... Um, this philosophy that you need to try to be the perfect applicant, right? And write your, uh, write a certain essay that says certain things and, and, uh, sort of put on a show for the medical school. And I feel getting to know you and the other admissions, uh, staff here, I feel that, um, you know, admissions people aren't, aren't, uh, foolish. They read thousands of applications every year and you can tell, who is being honest and who is just trying to, you know, paint a pretty picture. And so for me, just figuring out who I wanted to be in my life and what I wanted to be a part of my life and then focusing on those things, my extracurricular activities, my service involvement, my leadership involvement, they were all things that I wanted anyway or would have done anyway regardless of of getting into medical school because that's how I wanted to develop myself. And so that that's probably the advice I would give because it, there's a lot of people that don't get in medical school, a lot of competitive people with great grades and great MCAT scores that don't get in. And so you need to make sure that if that happens to you, you're not left standing in the rain without an umbrella. Mm-hmm. You know, you you hopefully will have developed yourself and and built a path that you can still continue to move forward and be successful. I mean, Travis, that's beautiful. I love how you said it. I love you're on the pod. I'll have you come back on the pod some more. I'll have you come back and okay. figure out when you decide what kind of doctor you want to be. My question, though, is did you come up – I mean, how do you – like in the middle of the pre-med world, you know, some people are very engaged and they mm-hmm. do the clubs and things and they don't mind being around other pre-medders. But some people don't. And I, I can't tell with you. Were you kind of plugged into the pre-med community or were you doing your own thing? Yeah, I was doing my own thing. Um, okay. Once I got once I got a little closer, I joined the pre-med club mostly because the, they had an advisor that could coach me and give me some advice along the way. UVU um, isn't a large university. I mean, bigger. Stu- the student population is huge. like yeah. huge. Yeah. But as an institution, they didn't quite have the resources that maybe 
you know, a larger institution does. Yeah. And so if I wanted to have an advisor, if I wanted people who knew the ropes, I needed to join the pre-med club and kind of, you know, integrate myself into that environment. But medicine was something I decided on late in my undergrad career. I was actually decided against it for the first little while. Um, I was planning on going into nursing um, because I wanted patient contact. I wanted to be able to really make an impact on my patients. And I had this misconception that doctors um, just wrote orders or just saw their patients for a few minutes and then the, the nurses did the caring. And that's who I thought I was as a person as I wanted to be able to do the caring. Once I decided that maybe nursing wasn't the best fit for me, I was um, torn between pursuing education, uh, some some form of social work or, or other form in, uh, of involvement uh, versus healthcare because I, I knew what I wanted to be able to accomplish in life. I knew how I wanted to have an impact in the world, but I wasn't sure which avenue was going to help me get mm-hmm. there. And so my decision to, to choose medicine was actually because it was the one that I felt would give me the most options. Um, I could still teach as a physician. I can still be involved in social change or political change, or I can be involved in healthcare. Yeah. you know, whatever I eventually decide to do. And you're still involved with your family because I know you, yep. have a, you have a family. So. Yep, beautiful so That's also family. very important. Too. Mm-hmm. So. Um, last, like we're almost out of time, Travis. Sure. This is going really good. Um, let's talk about some fun stuff. So one okay. of the things you're known for Uh-oh. is you like to wear your Utah Valley University wrestling okay. shirt, right? So you wrestled for UVU. Uh, sort of. Sort of. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So did you – I mean was it – were you exposed to wrestling at a young age? Because it's – was it like Hulk Hogan? You, you see I'm getting that? Yeah, yeah. No. You just went down that path? So. Yeah, no. So – before I answer your question, in full disclosure, I I made the wrestling team at Utah Valley University okay. um, a couple of years ago, but I uh, suffered an injury that uh, forced me to hang up my wrestling shoes and okay. re- retire. From Did you leave your shoes on the mat and you walked? Off? No, so that, that's kind of like yeah, that's kind of the thing. Yeah, you have to be you have to be somewhat um, important. Okay. For people to care about you leaving your shoes on the mat. <laughs> yeah, I was not important and never actually got to compete on a collegiate level before I got injured. Oh, it was in the pre bad. it was okay. in the preseason that I got injured. So oh, that's too bad. Um, but you wrestled through all throughout high school. Then, yeah, so I wrestled through junior high, high school, um, and then I I took a couple years off and served a mission for my church, and then came back and that's when I uh, tried out for the collegiate team at okay. Utah Valley. So. Um, what is it about wrestling that attracted you? Because it's a very, I, I, let me talk to you my own experience. I remember growing up in junior high, we had a wrestling team. I was not on the wrestling team, but they, for some reason, in my PE schedule, I would have wrestling. I would have PE at the same time, mm-hmm. and so they just used us as fodder. So they would have, <laughs> so they would bring us in and say, "Okay, all right, we're going to have you guys practice, practice." You know, I'm doing bunny quotes. Um, and then they would like say, okay, they're going to do like a chicken half wing takedown. And like they would just inflict massive amounts of pain. And this is a Churchill junior high. So anyone who knows Churchill, it's right over there, mouth of Olympus Cove. So, you know, so I just always like was fascinated by these group of people who just loved doing this because it looked really painful and was really hard. And yeah, so I'm just curious, like, like how'd that start for you and how'd that take off? And are there wrestling camps, I assume? Or oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. There's huge okay. wrestling camps. Some, there's kids. Um, in grade school that fly across the country to spend their summers at wrestling camps and things like that. Was that kid you? No, no, I did not have those opportunities, um, when I was younger, but, uh, it's, it is painful. It demands a lot. Um, I'm biased, but I think it's probably one of the most demanding sports. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a team sport, but it's also an individual sport. If you lose, you can't blame it on anybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you can blame it on the ref, but 
it's it's usually it's are usually most of them decided by a pin or a takedown or is it mostly points uh, like- yeah both there is a point system where you gain points for for uh, performing different moves on your opponent um that way if you don't pin them you know when the time runs out whoever has the most points wins but who who'd you wrestle for at high school uh hunter high school in hunter west valley city did you have did you have who's hunter's rival Ooh, it changed from time to time because solid, yeah, solid grows so much that they would constantly change what schools were in our region. Okay, our crosstown rival was usually Cypress High School, or uh, and did you have a nemesis on that? I mean, like someone that you you just that was just difficult to wrestle, and you know it was like you know mano a mano or um, maybe you know what I'm saying? Yeah, maybe as a junior. Okay, so maybe, you'd see them at the tournament, and you just like start yeah, nodding your head. Or, maybe there was someone as a junior. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, I was just curious about that because, like, you would wear those uh, those wrestling T-shirts, those sweatshirts all the time. So yeah, I feel like I always I was trying to I was every time I see you do that, I would try to encourage you to like wrestle one of your classmates uh, to the ground, like like in two seconds, because I know you guys can do it like in two seconds. Yeah, yeah. They'll do the double chicken half wing takedown and yeah. Boom, so I think that speaks to wrestlers as a whole. It's one of those sports where once you're done, you just constantly live the memories of the past because it's not like if you're a basketball star, mm-hmm. you can always go pick up a game of basketball at the parking lot or at the church or whatever. If you play football, you can play football on the weekends. If you were a wrestler, you, it's not like you can just go, you know, mm-hmm. to a wrestling mat somewhere and <laughs> wrestle, you know, you can't like call your buddies on Thanksgiving Thursday yeah. and say, let's go, let's go have a wrestle. Yeah. And so we all live in the past. <laughs> we all live in the past. <laughs> Wish, yeah. Wishing that we could go back and yeah. Cool. Well, Travis, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Yeah, thanks we'll have for you having me. Back in a few months to get an update about what uh, what path you've chosen. And Sounds yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio online at thescoperadio.com.